people are very focused on ROAS. It's the buzzword that they know, but depending on the job to be done, ROAS may not be the thing that is the priority. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce, the show where we get to sit down with fast-growing D2C founders to executives leading the digital landscape at the Fortune 100, to everyone in between. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org. And one thing I know is that how you do something is an indicator of how you do everything. And Diana Hausling of Colgate Palmolive may have even said just that in today's episode. And for her, instituting the right mindset for all of her employees, partners, and vendors is step one in the recipe for success. Whether it's upskilling your employees, hiring new talent, or partnering with agencies or vendors, Diana believes how you approach the situation will make all the difference. I was taking notes throughout the whole interview and know the tips that she shared, especially around hiring, are widely applicable regardless of the industry you're in. Learn how she does it right here on today's episode. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Today, we have Diana back for round two. I think it was almost 100 episodes ago that we had you on. Welcome back. Wow, it feels like just yesterday. I know, we were just hanging out. Okay, so within the past year, has anything big personally happened or at work happened or any funny stories to catch me up from where we last were? Well, I have to say nothing big and exciting has happened. But what I can say that has really been exciting for me is the connection and the network uh, that has been created with a lot of the women in e-commerce. So there aren't a lot of women in e-commerce, but surprisingly, um, we formed uh, a group called Eve, and it has been such a source of development, engagement, but also intellectual uh, thought leadership, along with just support and friendship. And I'm just really excited, especially as a woman of color, to see you know, this group of badass women get together, lift each other up, support each other. There's 25 of us that are more senior. And then we all brought in one or two mentees. Um, So we're really creating this ripple effect. And I think not only are we going to expand what it looks like to be in e-commerce and what the face of e-commerce looks like, but we're also empowering a lot of women to feel like they can impact their environments push the envelope, and also start to close that wage gap in our sector. So it's really exciting. Wow. Okay. So now this is taking a different turn than I was thinking, and I'm here for it. (laughs) When thinking about building up these kind of groups, because I'm sure, you know, a lot of people listening are like, oh, I would love to have a group like that, but it doesn't exist. What are maybe some basic guiding principles of how to actually have a good group, making sure it's curated, maybe not 
so many people where you can't really connect. Like, how do you think about growing and expanding it, but keeping it to the core of what you started? So I think it's like-minded, passionate people. And, you know, organically, we were all connecting and talking to each other. And um, we all kind of know each other from being on different podcasts together, panels. You know, we all told the same stories around the experiences we had. It's really funny, the pandemic and this kind of Zoom environment lessens some of those impacts. You know, you can't really see the stature, the size of somebody, and you really lead in Zoom with introducing yourself. But a lot of us would walk into rooms and people would assume we were the junior person on the team. A lot of us uh, would try to push ideas or influence change. And, you know, the typical bias would come into play. And as we started to share these stories, you know, what really popped in our mind was, first of all, a collective, how do we share? Because in e-commerce, it's really all about networking and understanding what's hot and what's latest because it, it moves so quickly. But how do we better prepare the generations coming behind us uh, so they don't have to go through what we did, but they also don't have to, to to make the same mistakes we did. So I'd say for anybody looking at creating a group like that, it's jumping in with people who are passionate. So I happen to be friends with a couple of women. I think Sarah Hofstetter, uh, Rachel Tipograph, and uh, Sarabi Pakiral. They are the ones that started the group, and they tapped me, and you know we all kind of said yes, we're in. And you have to commit to it, make the time and be intentional about it. You know, I've learned throughout my big career uh, that networking is not a dirty word. And when you're intentional about networking um, and you create these mutually beneficial relationships with people who look like you and then those people who don't look like you and have different skill sets, then your impact and your superpowers become that much more amplified. Yep. Oh, I love that. A very inspirational way to start the episode, which is my favorite. So when thinking about your role from last time we talked to you, I mean, you were just starting out to today, what things have shifted? What new things are you working on or new projects or maybe new teams that you're overseeing that you weren't before? Yeah. So it's been a crazy year at Colgate Palmolive. I've built out a team that I'm super proud of, build a dynamic leaders that have been at Colgate for years, some that are new to the organization, and they're from all around the world. And what I feel like is exciting is we really created an environment in my team that's called The Hive, where we are disruptors for good. Um, Our motto is really to be able to drive that digital transformation in the organization, but in a way that allows us to move quickly with agility, um, but also bring people along. What's excited me in the past um, few uh, weeks, months that I've been with the team is that now that we've kind of settled and formulated the team, brought in some new tools and technology, really opened our arms and embraced our vendor partners, I see and I'm starting to see and feel the impact of that change. And it's a ripple effect going out throughout the organizations because we've set as part of my remit on really how do we train and expand the training so it's not just my team driving that transformation that we're really integrating throughout the organization. We focused a lot on making our big bets. So where do we want to go after? Where do we feel like we have a right to play? And we're really starting to look around the corner and leverage our global community. So, you know, we know what's happening in digital commerce in Asia. We know that's happening in Europe. And how do we better prepare our teams in the U.S. for what's next and new? while also maximizing our spend and investments um, where we currently are today. So it's just been in a very exciting journey. That's awesome. So when thinking about hearing about this team that you have, you're not only upskilling, it sounds like not only maybe people on your team, but also across the organization and hiring new talent. 
One, how do you think about hiring new talent to be in such a transformational role that's been probably on a roller coaster the past couple of years where it's like every week you have to learn something new. Well, maybe we're not doing that anymore. Try this. So like, how do you think about upskilling and hiring and finding a good fit within your team and yeah, across the company? Well, let's start with the upskilling because that's, yeah. you know, that one can be daunting. First, it's, you know, people have a fear of change and what's new. And I think a lot of the work that my team does is to demystify um, digital commerce. It's not complicated. It's not hard. It's not com- complex. And if you're curious and engaged, uh, you can learn. And it changes so rapidly that you're never behind. Whenever you start, that's a great place to start. What I really think about when it comes to upskilling is really about mindset shift. It's really less about picking up and knowing the right buzzwords and terminology, but it's really thinking like a human. You know, we're all dynamic shoppers. We all shop digitally. You know, we all have, you know, little computers in our pockets. Um, So it's really taking uh, that, you know, CPG mindset, putting it aside and thinking like a consumer. So when are you shopping for click and collect? When do you want that tactile in-store experience? And how do you start thinking about the way you plan, execute, and your day-to-day and have that omni-mindset in everything that you do. There isn't going to be one moment where you're like, ah, this is the moment in the day where I do things that are digital or e-commerce or omni. No, it should really be in the air that you breathe. And I think that is the mindset that we're really trying to adopt uh, in our digital transformation at Colgate Palmolive. When it comes to the team dynamic, This is a very unfulfilling answer when anybody asks me because it really depends. It depends on the culture of the organization and where you are in the journey. There's a lot of partners like yourself that you can work with that can help you think about what that dynamic is. But I approach team structures and orgs the same way um, that I approach them in any role that I've been in. It's really, you know, first of all, for me as a leader, what are my gaps? I have many. And how do I leverage the strength and skills of my team to really close those gaps or even really address um, blind spots that I may have? I also think about the makeup of each of the pillars of my team. It's really important that you just don't hire all e-com native folks or you just use people who've been in the organization. You really need that mix. You know, diversity takes a lot of forms. We typically really focus on the ethnicity part of it. But if you think about the diversity of experience, um, the diversity of skill sets, you know, depending on the need that I have, like if I'm really trying to drive loyalty, I think about uh, consumers that maybe have worked on baby brands or things that really depend on loyalty. Um, So for me, I really try to adapt the profile or the talent profile for each of the roles that I have. So it really helps the composition of the team. And every time you have shifts and changes, you have to relook at that composition of the team. The other thing that we look at for my organization specifically, because we're a center of excellence that also owns a P&L, is how do we create basically a rotation for some of the folks? So I have some roles that are designated where marketers can rotate in. So you can be a stronger, better traditional brand marketer by taking a e-marketer role on my team. You know, there's rotations in D2C. So you don't necessarily have D2C expertise to join the team because I have that already. But how can you rotate in and then take that knowledge and rotate back out? The same for our sales organization. I don't necessarily always go for somebody who has pure player Amazon experience. I think there's a benefit for folks who really understand how the business operates, how traditional businesses operate so that you can 
translate that back into incremental dollar requests or needs within the organization. So it really is about leveraging, you know, my center of excellence to really help us realize our five, 10 year aspiration to make sure we are a digitally led organization going forward, because that's what it's going to take to remain uh, relevant in the ever evolving marketplace. Wow. Okay. So who taught you the way of thinking when it comes to hiring? Because I haven't heard I mean, I talked to brilliant people, but I have not heard many people talk about hiring in the way that you just did and how to think about the composition and how, yeah, I mean, to me, it's such a different mindset. Like, where did you learn this from or how did you start picking this up? Well, so part of it is the CPG bingo of my career. So I've worked at various CPG organizations. So I've got to experience a lot of different org structures and a lot of restructures. And what I found was There isn't one right or wrong way to structure your team. It really does depend on the culture and what works there. And as I was working through, you know, a lot of these restructures with various consultants, what I actually found was that it wasn't the structure itself that determined if we were successful. It was the culture. It was the individuals and their passion and if they believed in that culture. And, you know, really the way that I approach it is there are certain things that you cannot fight and you cannot change overnight. And you have to understand and go with the tide of the organization. There are some things that have to be transformed and that requires a heavy lift, um, but there are some things that require a transformation over time. So typically what I like to do is partner very closely with HR. I know sometimes people only look to HR when there's a problem or an issue, but I've extremely value the expertise and the subject matter expertise that comes with design And I really lean on my HR partners to really help me as a leader say, okay, what are the type of gaps and dynamics that I need so I can be successful as a leader? Coming into an organization, what has been extremely refreshing about Colgate Plumolive is the HR function really understands the business, but they also really understand the people and the individuals. So when I describe for them, because I'm newer to the organization one year in, I don't know all the talent. This is the type of individual that would do, do well. They're actually able to identify individuals within the organization that would make a good fit based off of their curiosity or the skill sets they provide. I've also really worked well with recruiters. You know, you, you have to make sure with the recruiters that you understand the talent in the marketplace, but don't pigeonhole yourself to, hey, this may be a category management role. You don't necessarily need another category management person To be in that role, if you already have category management folks in your team, you can bring in somebody that worked at like a Nielsen, a numerator, an IRI, and they can bring a different level of skill set. So it's really about amplifying um, that experience. And I think what really helped me get to this place is I've worked for some awesome leaders across the years, and I basically steal all their good ideas and apply them to what I do every day. Yep. Same here. I like that. Earlier, you mentioned, you know, ensuring that your team can think like the consumer when it comes to the entire journey. How do you go about training someone to do that? Because it sounds easy, like, of course, you know, think like the consumer, do operate how they would do it. But then same thing with marketing. It's like, speak to them how they want to be spoken to. And oftentimes you're like, well, that's still just marketing. Like, that's just you telling me what you want to tell me. It's not actually speaking to me in a way that resonates. So how do you go about not only training your team to think that way, but then also maybe testing them in a way of like, are you there yet? Yeah. So, and you know, there's complex ways to do it, but then there's simple things. So like, sometimes I'll even just say to somebody like, go ask your mom or dad what they would think that was. Go ask your spouse, you know, your kid, tell them to describe it to you. Mm-hmm. And just having that 
a human non-CPG, non-acronym conversation with another human starts to turn the light bulbs up. Oh, that's great. I'm sure you've gotten funny responses from that too. Like my kids. uh... (laughs) Yeah. And it's very different from what you thought, like very different. Yeah. I've had my husband go to the store and really wanting to support and buy products and buy products that weren't Colgate because of the design of the packaging and it looked too similar. So that was a cue to me like, oh, our packaging is too similar to this other brand. Somebody that was actually looking for it couldn't figure it out. So leveraging, you know, your focus groups of one, your people around you to keep you humble and really keep you grounded is how you can do it very much so in the day to day. But it's really about getting out on the market. Like I really push the teams to get out into the stores, wander the stores, watch people shop. You don't even have to do a formal focus group. You can kind of just get a sense of like how people are shopping, you know, how the shelves look at different points of the day. So you get a sense of what your package design needs to look like you know, actually taking your phone out and just checking things out, getting the experience of buying product and seeing what happens. You know, that's a great way. Um, Networking, you know, with other folks from other companies. So you can kind of get a a sense of how they talk about their categories, because we very much so focus on our category definitions, the way the buyer or our organization categorizes them. But when you get in the digital commerce space, the consumer's in control. Um, So really understanding how they, you know, think about, you know, the need state that your product is fulfilling becomes, you know, extremely different. And then it's really about getting folks to share. So like we use the Google chat um, and we use it pretty actively. There's about, you know, 50 members of my team that are on that chat between the team and the agency partners. And we share articles, we share things that we're seeing. And it's not just about like retailers and digital commerce, like what's happening in the marketplace you know, what changes are happening in healthcare and how can we be a part of that? So really getting them grounded and connected with all of the elements that uh, transform and change how consumers shop is, is really how, you know, I try to push my teams to be curious. I think there's other elements for them too, to really get into that consumer mindset is to really have them just shop for the product themselves and partner with vendors that allow them to get experiences. Instacart is a great partner where you can do a shop along um, with some of their shoppers and really get the experience, not just from being the end consumer, but imagine being a shopper, making decisions and having the power to give uh, an end consumer a new experience and what that looks like and how they navigate the store. I didn't even think about that. All the times that I'm like, oh yeah, choose the best option. I mean, that is that actually a big piece of, I mean, I I don't even know how to think about that of like what percent are these shoppers choosing an alternative? Like how much influence do you think you can have just by sending your team out there to see how it even works? Have you guys studied that? So we started to partner with Instacart primarily on just understanding how the shopper makes choices. But there's something about the neuroscience behind, you know, the shopper wanting to please Mm -hmm. their consumer because typically um, when, you know, somebody has a good experience with a shopper, they, they ask for that shopper again. So when you actually do it and you think about, okay, this person asked for this specific item, that's not available, you know, how do I pick something else? And you'll find in the dynamic with the shopper that they'll actually pick something like, hey, I tried this before and it was good. So I think you'll like it. Um, So the power that the shopper has is pretty amazing. So it's not just about the end user. You actually have to think about, you know, the retailer, the end user, and now these new shoppers and how you can influence all of them. And that's really, um, you know, if you think about marketing end to end, that's what it's become now. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, 
lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine, who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Such a good nudge to like get back out in the real world, everyone, sending your team out there. I mean, it's so easy to be behind the screens and look at the research and get caught up here instead of just walking through, you know, yeah. a retail store and being like, oh, now I see why people are gravitating here or why they might be missing our product or whatever it may be. That's a good reminder. And you might be surprised. Like, you know, sometimes when I see somebody in the toothpaste aisle, I'm just like, so what are you looking for? Have you tried this brand? <laughs> you might make a sailor too. Like, who is this woman? Yeah. <laughs> and then walk away with a lifelong friend over toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So you mentioned, you know, a couple of times the vendors and agencies you're relying on. And I know this is a big question that many companies always think about is like, how do I pick a good agency partner or vendor to work with? I mean, what steps do I go through to make sure this is going to be a good, you know, long partnership that will be fulfilling on both sides? How do you all think about that? So agencies are an extension of your team. And I think, you know, as much as it is important to pick a great agency and my agency friends are going to be very mad at me for saying this, but (laughs) all of them are very good. They all have extremely talented people. They're all good at their craft And it's that competitive nature that even has them step up their game even more. But being a good client is even more important. You know, how do you um, brief the agency of the job to be done and don't um, shackle them and prevent them from pushing the envelope? How do you create an environment where the agencies pitch you ideas that make you a little uncomfortable? Because those are usually the best ideas. So I think getting to that right mix where it's not command and control, where you're really enabling the agency to do what they do best and valuing that subject matter expert is important. Mm-hmm. I think in this new world of retail media, um, understanding the various components of, a, of an agency relationship that you need. So there's that traditional marketing element. You know, we now we need really focused and really um, thoroughly engaged um, media buying teams that understand both traditional media, but also uh, retail media and the commerce element of it. And then that those commerce teams that really help you pull it all the way through. And then you got to figure out whether it's one agency or a multi-agency model or a hybrid model, how do you get them all to work together? And I think that's the dynamic that's challenging because if you do it right, they start to work together so well and push each other to be better. But if you do it wrong, then you really are starting to drive the direction and your output is that that much weaker Um, because you're not really letting the agencies do their thing. So it's such a critical relationship. Um, I think the other element for the agency dynamic, and especially now as retail media is expanding, is having our retail media partners understand the importance that agencies play in a CPD environment. You know, I typically find a lot of our retail media friends spend a disproportionate amount of time just on the client. And that's important. You want to engage the manufacturer you want to engage the teams. You want them to understand. 
But the agencies are really the ones that are bringing us the campaign ideas, the concepts. So I think there's a balance of both really connecting with the team for the day to day. But as we think about shifting from trade dollars or shopper dollars into brand dollars, it really becomes about building that relationship and that shared ecosystem with the agency partners. Okay. So to first unpack creating a good environment for them, because to me, I think about, you know, some of the designers I've hired, I'm like, well, I want this, but I, then they come back and they give me just that. And I'm like, wait, no, no, I want like, okay, don't even look at my mock-up, yeah. do your own thing with just these words. And then it, it's like such a hard balance to not give them too much. Like you want them to be, you know, actually doing why you are doing the job that you hired them for. Like, how do you create that environment to make sure that, you know, they are pitching you the ideas that make you uncomfortable and getting you outside, you know, your comfort zone? I think really strong agencies have a really crystal clear briefing process. Mm -hmm. And in that process, if you don't provide the appropriate inputs, then they're not going to do the work. And that's to me is a good telltale sign of the strength of the agency because the briefing process is the most important. I've had some great mentors, uh, Marcy Ramble is one of them who really taught me the importance of briefing and how to get, um, how to build a strong brief because Near the CPG, there are a lot of factors, especially now with integrated briefing process. You have to pull from the sales organization. You have to pull from marketing. There has to be a very clear and tight brand strategy, plus a very clear job to be done and specific KPIs. And once you get that really tight brief, you got to let the agency go and let them push you. And I typically have them look at varying uh, ranges of concepts because, you know, there's like the, you know, Tesla and then, you know, there's the Honda and, you know, that then there's like the used car version and you probably almost always end up somewhere in the middle, but you really want them to try to push you because you may be thinking, Hey, you know, I'm going to go ahead and buy this Honda. That's what I, that's what we can afford. And that's what the budget has. And they come out, come up with an idea that's so good that it's worth you going back and saying, you know what, we're going to make some adjustments to our priorities and we're going to make this happen because that's, that's how good the idea is. So you never want to let your budget constraints You never want to let your own uh, biases impact the ability of the output of the work. And then you really do have to let them shine. I think the other part of agency management that's really critical for me and in partnership is, you know, being a client that agencies are like, I want to work on that team because that's the team where I get to not only do fun projects, that's the team where everybody seems to get promoted when they work on that team. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I do when I partner with agencies and I'm giving away a little bit of my secret sauce. Um, but I don't look at, you know, I don't want your shiniest, um, you know, person. I want the person who's a cusper. Who's your director that's on the cusp of a VP that I will also feed into and fuel from a development standpoint so that they can rotate off my business and be a VP someplace else? Mm. You know, who is the, you know, really smart, you know, senior manager who's on the cusp of becoming a director that is strategic but still is a doer? you know, that we can help mold and shape. And they may not be on my business for more than a year or two years, but because of the chance, because of the, the opportunities that they get, because that I'm also invested in their development and they see that when you work with this business and you do it well, you get a promotion that they want to partner with you. And then my account becomes the destination for top talent within that agency. That's awesome. So you can steal my model if you'd like, because at yes. the end of the day, what it just means is really good, smart people get promoted. Mm-hmm. I love that. Taking notes currently, Diana. Thank you very much. 
So you mentioned retail media a couple times, and I want to hear your thoughts on how that's you know transformed and how Colgate Palmolive is betting on retail media. So retail media is uh, the hot topic right now, and all of our uh, retail friends have really seen the model that Amazon um, has developed and see it as an opportunity to not only um, gain more income, but actually to monetize all of the rich data that they have. So I think when done well, um, and when you have the right subject matter experts involved in the process, you can really leverage retail media to create that utopia full funnel experience that we all talk about, read about, and make you know beautiful PowerPoint slides about. But the way in and how you do that is really to understand the nuts and bolts of the platforms. It's not the sexy stuff. It's really understanding how the algorithms work, what are the sophistication levels of the platforms, and how they work uh, within your overall planning process. So what is the Walmart Connect good for versus Rondell uh, versus 8451? They all have something that they bring. Um, and what consumers are you trying to go after? And I think the biggest unlock that we're seeing is this connection back to the trade desk, which really allows you to pull it all the way through. I think the biggest challenge most um, manufacturers face is how to create that um, integrated planning process internally. So you're really taking advantage of it and making sure that you have subject matter expertise that understand what retail media is. It's not like tra traditional media. There is a very much so a commerce component to it. And so you have to align the KEPIs and the jobs to be done to make sure that you're successful in that space. I would say the other piece that's very critical to retail media is the KPI. People are very focused on ROAS. It's, it's the buzzword that they know, but depending on the job to be done, ROAS may not be the thing that you wanted to execute, that ROAS may not be the KPI that's the priority. You may want to set a ROAS threshold so you don't go below a certain point, but you may want to focus on other KPIs in order to achieve the objective um, of your campaign or your activation. And that really depends on, is it innovation? Is it innovation that requires um, education? Are you trying to grow your category? Are you trying to help the retailer bring more traffic in? All of those things require different KPI hierarchies in order to achieve your ultimate end result. Mm -hmm. Have you had to develop any new KPIs over the past two years that maybe you were never using prior to that? I don't know if they were, they're not new KPIs, but they were KPIs that aren't necessarily talked about together. So, you know, any good longstanding CPG has a marketing mix model that they live or die by. And those marketing mix models are still important. But I think what we have really done is expanded marketing mix so that we account for online attribution, so that we are looking at retail media, but also that we understand the role. So when it comes to marketing mix, that's really helping us to make marketing and brand investment decisions. But when it comes to the power of retail media and how we can drive commerce, how we can drive conversion, the marketing mix doesn't really help us make the best decisions all of the time. So you really have to balance. I think it's less about new KPIs and more about how we think about KPIs. So we use them as an input to decision-making, not the driver of decision-making. And I think that shift in that mindset. So, you know, if one lever doesn't hit this one KPI, that doesn't mean that it's bad. The job that it has to do might sit with another KPI. And so that work, that briefing work, that strategy work that's done on the front end is so critical. 
And then on the back end, the lesson learned is also extremely critical for, you know, larger campaigns. Throughout the campaigns, you may optimize and gain some learnings and shift your KPI profile because of the fact that you actually are starting to see, you know, not just what you thought would happen in theory, but what's happening in the market. You may have a new brand that emerged that is spending a ton of money because they're a startup and all they have is retail media or all they have is social. And now you have to adjust uh, as a result. Um, you may have, you know, an incumbent brand that had a shift in strategy or innovation and you have to adjust again. So I think the biggest thing, you know, about uh, retail media, but KPI setting is that, you know, we once were very rigid and share or ROAS and those things were our target. And now we have to be able to be comfortable with being agile. We've always been in an environment where change is a factor, but now change is a constant. And being able to uh, adjust to change and being comfortable with shifting quickly is what's going to set apart the winners from the losers. Oh, it's epic. Oh, I wish I had only two more hours with you, Diana. Come on, you can just spend your whole day with me. Oh, I could. I could talk. I can geek out with you on this stuff forever. I know. We just need to have our own... Stephanie and Diana segments just yes. once a week. We just hop on, have some coffee, wine, whatever it may be. <laughs> so I want to hear what are some of the maybe the projects you're most excited about that you're tackling right now? Or where do you see the world shifting that you're like, hey, I think there's about to be some big brands left behind if they don't get with it. What are you excited about? Uh, so I'm really having a lot of fun right now with partnerships. Okay. And thinking about partnerships and innovation in a new way. So it's not just about product innovation, but experiences, and then unique partnerships. You know, I, there are a lot of brands doing a lot of cool things like Elf Cosmetics partnership with Dunkin' Donuts, which is something that I wouldn't have thought of, but it is adorable and yeah. it's a really cool experience and it's just fun. Um, but so how do you think about different partnerships and in an interesting way and try things and, and stretch uh, where your brands can go? We have a lot of cool brands like Hello and Toms of Maine that have a right to play in a lot of interesting spaces. Think about different retailer partnerships. I don't want to give too much away, but there's a lot of cool things that can happen with those brands. And I think the other thing that's really exciting to me is, you know, I'm really democratizing digital commerce at Colgate Palmolive. I think there's a fear that, you know, if you started out too late or you missed the boat, um, then, you know, it's just you're out of the loop and it's not the skill you can pick up. But showing folks how easy and simple it is and how dynamic they can be with their role if they really just dive into the space um, is really exciting. And then I think finally, the technology. So from a loyalty standpoint and even just like the really boring back end uh, technology and supply chain, is actually cool. Like we're doing really cool things and thinking about the future and robotics and what uh, distribution centers are going to look like. That's really exciting to me. And then I think lastly, because, you know, this is, you know, why we're here, we're doing so many um, interesting partnerships that you'll see in the marketplace soon with our retailer partners that really twist what you think about oral care and services and what the future of that will look like. And I do think, you know, right now, um, just the way over the pandemic, you know, our um, health experience or medical health experience has really shifted and the comfort with telehealth and all of those things. So many things are going to change. And but what that means to me is that it just makes us even more accessible to so many people. 
I think about the wealth gap and how there are so many things that are just for people of means. And one of the things I love about Colgate Palmolive is their accessibility. And a lot of the work we're doing, whether it's our Bright Smiles by Bright Futures, is really about making um, oral health, cleaning products, um, personal care products accessible to all. And being able to do that, connect with humans and really give back um, to community is just, it's really a high that makes the work feel more substantial than just selling a product. I love that. All right. So in our last two minutes to tease the future episode that we will have eventually, I want to do an overrated or underrated segment, but you can't say why. You just have to tell me if you think it's overrated or underrated. And then in a future episode, we can dig into like what happened and why you thought that. Okay. So are you ready? Yes. First one, NFTs. Underrated. Underrated. All right. Yeah. Influencers. Overrated. Metaverse. Underrated. Web3. Undecided. I, I, I'm cheating. That's okay. That's actually a pretty good one to be undecided on. And the last one, crypto and or blockchain. Oh, definitely underrated. Yep. All right. I guess we'll get into uh, that in a future episode. Diana, thank you so much for coming back on, joining me for round two. Where can people find out more about what you're up to? Where can they go say hi? You can check me out on LinkedIn. um, And I look forward to connecting with all of you. Thanks, Diana. Thank you. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.